0: We are marching right along in uh, Genesis, so find Genesis chapter 12, Genesis chapter 12. We'll begin looking tonight at the life of Abraham, and we're going to look at the subject matter, the beginning of a life of faith, the beginning of a life of faith. So uh, find chapter 12 and let's begin reading together in verse 1. Chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Scripture says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife and Lot his brother's son and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem to the oak of Moreh. At that time the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negeb. For the next several weeks, we'll be looking at the life of Abraham. And uh, we'll be studying this very significant character in the Bible. You know, we can learn a great deal through character studies, can't we? Because what do we see? We see how God dealt with them and it provides principles and lessons for how God deals with us. Scripture says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the way that we see God dealing with his people, even in the Old Testament, gives us a clue as to how God also desires to deal with us. You, re- you may remember last year and going up to about a year and a half ago, we were studying some of the women in the Bible. Ruth. I think i heard more good comments about studying Ruth than probably any in recent times. Uh, then we went on and looked at Esther. Character studies. Uh, so that's what we'll be doing with the life of Abraham. Uh, Now, folks, without a doubt, Abraham, along with Jacob that we'll meet later on, and then also Joseph. along uh, Abraham and and Jacob and Joseph will become uh, the main characters here on out in the book of Genesis. Of course, Isaac is the son of promise. But we really don't get as much on Isaac, as much material on Isaac, as we will, for instance, on on Jacob and Joseph. Now, Genesis chapter 12 begins the second main division of the book of Genesis. From Genesis 12 to Genesis 50 uh, is called What Kind of History? Does anybody remember? Patriarchal history. Genesis 1 to 11, remember? What What did we say that was called? Primeval history. Yes, primeval. Uh, so, the, the two broadest... The, those who want to divide the book of Genesis up in outlines, which is very helpful, the, the broadest division you'll find about the book of Genesis is it being divided between primeval history in Genesis 1-11 through and patriarchal history in chapter 12 down through chapter 50. Now it's very significant that we look at the life of Abraham because he's the only person that I'm aware of outside of the disciples of Jesus that God referred to as his friend, remember Jesus told his disciples, "I no longer simply refer to you as my servants, but also as my friends." And the Bible says the same about Abraham that that he was called the friend of God. And so we're going to see some of the things about the life of Abraham that prompted. That type of affection. Now as we study Old Testament characters we need to realize what Paul said to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 10. And I alluded to this a moment ago. Paul in 1 Corinthians 10 said that what happened to the saints of old continues to be examples for us today. And so yes, as we study somebody like Abraham, it has tremendous application for us. Because again, as I mentioned, we'll see how God dealt with him and we'll learn how God deals with us. Now let's set the table a bit for chapter 12. Abraham lived in Ur of the Chaldeans. Sir Leonard Woolley's excavation of the ancient Mesopotamian city of Ur in the 1920s and early 30s became a big media event. During the 13 years of excavations, the, the great newspapers of the world at the time followed his progress. His discovery of the Royal Cemetery of Ur with its large supply of gold and evidence of human sacrifice, attracted travelers from all over the world who wanted to come and see. He uncovered the remains of the queen, decked out in all of her gold, with the bodies of her servants lying all around her. Now the mystery writer Agatha Christie was one such person who was attracted by all of these excavations. And she married Woolley's assistant and the discovery of the royal tomb at Ur of the Chaldeans was fodder for her mystery book Murder in Mesopotamia. Later she wrote in her autobiography, she said, Leonard Woolley saw with the eye of imagination. The place was as real to him as it had been in 1500 BC or a few thousand years earlier. Whatever Wherever he happened to be, she said, he could make it come alive. While he was speaking, I felt in my mind, no doubt, whatever, that the house down on the corner had belonged to Abraham. It was his reconstruction of the past and how he believed in it that anyone who listened to him believed in it also. Well, in Ur, we know that they were idolaters. Paul said to the Romans in Romans chapter 1 that people who reject God's truth will end up worshiping themselves, worshiping idols, and worshiping the creation. They'll make idols. And that's what they had done in Ur. They had ended up, one of their gods they ended up worshiping was known as Nana, the moon god. And they had a lunar religion around the worship of, of Nana that dominated their life from, from birth all the way to the grave. Now remember, during, during ten generations from Noah through his son Shem all the way down to Abram, the whole family of earth had played out its future and had nowhere to go. There was no foreseeable future but darkness. But what had God promised Sham all the way back in chapter 9? You remember? What had he promised him? That blessing would come to the whole human family through his line. Remember, God said he would not destroy the human race by flood again. Uh, What he's going to do is to choose Abraham out of the entire human family. And he's going to build a nation through him. Now, God didn't choose every man, but he chose Abraham. He chose one man, just like he did back with Noah. He's not going to choose every nation. He's going to choose one nation. And so it will be through Abraham's descendants that God will work in the world. And ultimately through them, what will God do? Who will God bring into the world? The Messiah. And through the Messiah, what will God do? God will build His Forever, family. Folks, we see this concept of election that runs all through the Bible. It's absolutely inescapable. It it, becomes, it begins to come clear for us here in chapter 12. Jesus spoke of it in the Gospels. Most clearly, perhaps, in the Gospel of John. The Apostle Paul spoke of it, spoke of election. So did Simon Peter. Now folks, let's see, how, let's see tonight how in the midst of darkness, God chooses and calls his servant, and he begins in that servant a journey of faith that is going to end up impacting the entire world. First thing I want you to see with me tonight is Abraham's call. Abraham's call and we see that uh, in verses 1 to 3. Now I want you to notice something. Turn over to the book of Acts a moment. Acts chapter 7. Find Acts chapter 7 and verse 1. Acts chapter 7 and verse 1. actually verse 2 Stephen said brothers and fathers now remember this this is at the stoning of Stephen when when they're about to stone Stephen to death and he gives a great sermon a great speech before they stone him Stephen said brothers and fathers hear me the god of glory appeared to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And said to him, go out from your land and from your kindred and go to the land that I will show you. And so we know that Abram had received this call while he was still in Ur. He journeys from Ur of the Chaldeans, and he goes to Haran. Now, we're never told specifically why he stopped at Haran instead of completing the journey, but he did. And it appears that he stayed put in Haran about 15 years. Now, that's so true to life, isn't it? God calls us, we begin a journey of faith, but then we get sidetracked, right? Can any of you relate to that? God called you to do something and you started to do it, but somehow or another you got interrupted, you got sidetracked, and that call had to be renewed later on. Well, that's what's going on here. Chapter 12, when we put Acts 7 and Genesis 12 together, Genesis 12 here seems to be a reissuing of a previous call. God called him while he was still in Mesopotamia. He went to Haran and stayed there 15 years and now God is renewing that call once again. Abram needs to complete the journey that God had him begin. You with me? You with me? Y'all seem quiet tonight. Frozen. Okay. Now, what could we say about this call? There's, There's a number of things I want to say about this call. Number one, it was a call to leave behind his securities. I want you to think about that. Back in Mesopotamia and then in Haran for 15 years, what, what would Abraham have done? Okay. From the human perspective, the horizontal, what would he have done? Family, exactly. Family, friends, work, building a life for himself, right? Building a life for himself and for his family. And then what's God say? Leave it all. Leave it all. Go to a land that I'm going to show you. You know, I think of Jesus' words in Matthew 10. Jesus said, he who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not worthy of me. He who has found his life will lose it. And he who loses his life for my sake will find it. We need to let that sink in, don't we? Sometimes God calls us to leave behind everything that we know. Everything that's familiar to us. Everything we're comfortable with. Imagine how it would have been for Abraham to to leave all that behind. God's calling Abraham to a life of separation. Now when God issues his call to us. It may not be necessary for everybody to go far away, but it is necessary for it to be a call of separation, right? He calls all of us to separate from the world. And what's that a reminder of? This world is not our home and it's not where our hope is. In fact, the Bible says in this world, what are we to be like? We're to be strangers and pilgrims who are just passing through. So it was a call to leave behind his securities. Secondly, we could say it was a call that had to be carried out in faith. He was not even sure where he was to go. He was simply told, go to a land that I am going to show you. All he had to go on at this point is what John, John Calvin called the, the verbum nundum, the naked word of God. That's all he had to go on. As Calvin pointed out, Abram had to venture out almost as though his eyes were closed. And God told him when he did that, when Abraham obeyed and did that, God said, I'm going to show you. But it's like he had to venture out as it were with his eyes closed. There was no sense whatsoever in which Abram was saying, God, I hope you'll send me over there. Or God, I hope you'll send me over there or over there. That's not in the text. Abram was being called upon to act in blind faith but in perfect trust. Blind faith and perfect trust. Now folks, you realize what a huge problem this is for people today, isn't it? What do we want when God calls us? What do we want? We want to know what the plan is. We want to know the answers. God, where exactly are you wanting me to go? What do you want me to do? How long am I going to be there? How much is it going to cost? What's involved? We want the road map ahead of time. What if God says to you, no, just go. And as you go, as you take the first step, I'm going to tell you what the second step will be. That's faith, isn't it? But that's what Abram's call was. Folks, if you demand to know all the answers from God before you venture out in faith, you know what you're going to miss out on? Chances are you're going to miss out on God's plan for your life. If you got to know all the answers up front before you venture out, then you might as well just sit down and stay put where you are. But you're going to miss... God's plan for your life and God's call. And, you get, and you're going to miss something about the presence and the power of God in your life too. <clears throat> it's when we respond in faith and obedience today that God shows us what to do tomorrow. A third thing I want you to see, it was a call that involved promise. When God calls us to something, it it may involve sacrifice, but it will also involve blessing. All of the saints in the Bible who answered God's call not only were called to a particular service... But their own lives were enriched in the process as well. Now, what we see here is a sevenfold blessing upon Abraham. Sevenfold signifying what? Completion. And God is the one who's going to bring it to pass. God says, I will do this. I will do this in your life. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. Again, sevenfold blessing. God is the one who is going to be at work in Abram's life. Now, I want you to notice that these promises were all unfulfilled as of yet. Again, so oftentimes we want everything today. God, give it all to me right now. But Abram and Sarai were childless when God spoke to them and called them. They were childless. Abram, is he's 75 years old, which for him was about middle-aged. They're even without a single child yet. And what does God say? I'm going to do what? I'm going to make of you what? A great nation. They don't even have one kid. And God says to a 75-year-old man, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. God's promises to the faithful are sometimes staggering. And if we look at it from a human perspective and human logic and reasoning, it, it may not make sense at all, right? But we need to remember, as Paul said to the Ephesians in Ephesians 3.20, God is able to do exceedingly abundantly beyond anything we could even imagine or think. Amen? God is able to deliver on what He promises. But the promises come after the response to the call. Again, people tend to say, God, do it all first and let me see you do it and then I will obey. God says, no, you obey and you will see me do it. God promised to make a nation out of Abram. Did he do that? Yes. He became the father of the Jewish people. And after the Exodus, God led his people into the promised land, gave them that land, made a nation out of them. He promised Abram a great name. Did he do that? Yes. It's interesting how at the Tower of Babel, we looked briefly at that section two weeks ago. Babel, what was man trying to do at Babel? What did man want to do for himself? Wanted, Wanted to make a great name for himself. And God came down and confused it all. Man trying to make a great name for himself, God brought it to naught. But here's God saying to Abram, I will make of your name a great name. Big difference when God does it. Man trying to do it in his pride, God brings it to naught. But here's God saying to Abram, I'm going to do this in you. I'm going to make your name great. God also promised him who curses you, I'll curse, and him who blesses you, I'll bless. All through Old Testament history, we see in one way or another how God dealt with those who fought against Israel. Sometimes in the Old Testament, God would use a pagan nation to chastise Israel, but God had a purpose in that. God worked, God protected his people, God worked through them to bring the Messiah into the world. The New Testament points out that, that the Jew has rejected God's plan of salvation in Christ for now, but God's not done with the Jew yet. Romans 9 through 11. Every time a Jew comes to faith in Christ, it's like the natu- a natural branch is being grafted back in to the olive tree, and then, somehow or another, we're told that God is going to stir the Jew to jealousy so that a complete number of Israel will be saved. There's coming a day that times of the Gentiles will be over and God will graft the natural olive branches back in. But folks, it'll be through their faith in Christ. There's not a separate plan for salvation for the Jew. If the Jew's going to be saved, same way that we're saved, through faith in Christ. Salvation is only one way, and that's through Christ. Whether you're Jew or Gentile. Through the Jews' disobedience, Paul said the good news went out to the Gentile. The unnatural branch is being grafted into the natural olive tree, that's us. So by faith in Christ, we become Abraham's heirs. We're included in the promise. We're included in the promise. But again, God says here to Abram, I will bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. And it's even stronger in the Hebrew than it is in in English. God says, I will bless those who who bless you, and I will curse those who even merely disdain you. I will curse those who even merely disdain you. You may recall how Balak wanted Balaam to curse the Hebrews, and he wouldn't go so far as to curse them, but he did agree to disdain them. God judged him. So God says, I'm going to curse those who even merely disdain you. And then he goes on to say, as part of the sevenfold promise, and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Because again, through Abram, we get the Jewish nation. And then through the Jewish nation, who do we get? We get Jesus, the Messiah. So what great promises God is making to Abram? Now folks, do you realize something? Do you realize that Abram never saw all of these promises come to pass in his lifetime? He saw some of them, but not all of them. Do you realize that? But did God bring them to pass? Yes. You may not in your lifetime see all the promises come to pass that God has made to you. But does that mean they won't come to pass? No, doesn't mean they won't come to pass. They will come to pass. It may be in the new heavens and the new earth before you see it all. But... Everything God promises to his people, eventually we will see it, even if we don't see everything in this lifetime. Abram didn't see much of this, and yet we know that everything God promised to Abram, God did. God fulfilled it. Amen? He's a God who keeps his word. And then also, fourthly, we could say it was a call that involved service. He said to Abram, you will be a blessing. You will be a blessing. In other words, Abram, what I'm going to do in you is not going to be just for you. I'm going to do it for you, but I'm going to do it through you that you'll be a blessing to others. Through absolutely no merit of his own God was going to do a mighty work in and through Abram God God was going to save him God was going to build a nation through his descendants This nation would be a light to everyone around them. They were to be God's own prized possession and they would be a witness in a dark world. Again, through this nation, the Messiah would come so that the whole world, Jew and Gentile alike, might be able to be saved through him. This whole chain of events was now about to begin with Abraham. What a blessing! And yet God reveals to Abraham... That he is also to be a blessing. God is beginning it with Abram. But he's not stopping it with Abram. It's through him. Everything he does with Abram is to spill out to others. Again, this shows an important biblical truth. That election is for service. God doesn't just save you so you can be saved and satisfied. But God saves you so he can work through you that others will be touched. Folks, we need to catch, we need to catch a vision for that too. When God saved you, did, were you blessed by that? Yeah, of course. But your salvation is not just for you. Through your salvation, you're to be a witness to others who are still in darkness that their lives will be touched for for Christ. God doesn't just save us so we'll sit and soak, be saved and satisfied. But he saves us that then we can be his people on mission. You've got a mission to the world and you've got a ministry inside the body of Christ. Ministry inside the body of Christ that he's gifted you for in a unique way. Whatever your giftedness is. But then you've got a mission to the world. You've got both. God saved you for both. A ministry to the body of Christ and a mission to the world. Again, it's not just for you. It's not just for me. Well, secondly, I want us to notice Abraham's obedience. Look beginning at verse 4. Abraham's obedience. Again, we, we can say first of all about this obedience that it came at midlife. At midlife. It says in verse 4, Abraham went as the Lord told him. Again, how old did I say he was? Seventy-five. For some of you, God might be putting something on your heart and you're saying, you know what, that, that might have been good 20 years ago. but I'm too old now. No. No. You know, you think about where there's Abram or Moses. You notice something about these characters in the Old Testament? They were older when God called them. And then you'll notice, uh, not only did it come at midlife, but his obedience involved great adjustment. What did he do? He left where he was, went where God was telling him to go. Folks, you cannot follow God without making some kind of adjustment in your life. Some people say, you know what, I'd I'd love to start teaching a Sunday school class. I feel called to teach a Sunday school class. But I just don't want to commit to it every week. Well, you know what you need to do? If God's calling you to do it. You need to adjust to do it. You might say, God's calling me and my family to go on a mission trip or to go to a life of missions or go to seminary and go out to ministry. God's calling me to do that. Well, what do you have to do? You have to adjust. You have to make adjustments to do it. Whatever it is God calls people to do, In the Bible, read every one of these characters, Abraham here included, when God called them, they had to make sometimes very radical adjustments in their life. But God helped them through that. Is God calling you to make some kind of radical adjustment? When we encounter God, it involves some type of adjustment the writer of hebrews indicates that abram lived in tents and passed through the land as a pilgrim why would he why would he leave home where he knew everybody had his comfortable surroundings and all why would he do all that to go to a foreign land and live in tents Because the Bible says, he was looking for the city whose builder and maker is God. He was looking for something better. Folks, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Amen. Amen. Yes, absolutely. Folks, think about it. Everything around us says what? Just settle in where you are, accumulate as much as you can, preserve your future right where you are. But what's God's word remind us of? We are pilgrims passing through. What's that mean? Everything about life we're to hold on to loosely. Instead of like this, grabbing it, we're to hold things like this. Surrender to the Lord, right? He was a stranger in a foreign land. A third thing about his obedience, we could say it it impacted others. I want you to notice here in verse 5, notice how it says Abram took some people with him. Took some people with who were the people. Obviously, Sarai, his wife, Lot, his brother's son, all their possessions they gathered, and the people they had acquired in Haran. Now, your translation may refer to this as being slaves. Slaves. That's not what's going on here. Okay? What the Hebrews suggest, and then what the rabbinic, the ancient rabbinic tradition picked up on, is that Abram began sharing his story in Haran of what God was leading him to do. He started sharing his story about the true and the living God and what the true and the living God was doing in his life and what this true and living God had called him to do. And some of the people around him in Haran said, We want to get in on that. We want to know this God. We want to get in on that too. That's the people that's referred to here in verse 5 the people of Haran. Those people who said, We got to get in on this too. My point is, his life had impacted others around him. And they wanted to know this God. Abram's obedience, his following, the, God's call on his life, his obedience, the adjustments he was making. They wanted part of that too. They were some of the first when, when God said, through you, everybody will be blessed. They were some of the very first ones to get in on that promise. His life, his obedience, his adjustments, his faith in God impacted others. And then we can also say here, lastly, his obedience included worship. What did he do in 7 and 8? He built an altar and called on the name of the Lord. He didn't just settle down in the land God sent him to and just start doing his own thing. He stayed in communion with God. Some people get where God wants them and they end up getting busy. They They forget all about God, maybe. Maybe they're so busy doing God's work, they forget all about God. But Abram did not lose the vital connection with God, his communion with God. He got to where God wanted him to be, and he built an altar, and he called on the name of the Lord. He worshipped. You know, that's why Jesus said what he did in John 15. He said, I'm the vine, you're the branches, you can do nothing apart from me. You are nothing apart from me and can do nothing apart from me. you got to keep the vital connection. In the book of Acts, what did those early chapters say about the disciples? What did did the ruling authorities take notice of? What did they take notice of? They took notice that the apostles had been with Jesus. Right? The apostles kept their communion with the Lord. And even the governing authorities took notice of it. Keep worship at the center of your life. So, what are some life lessons here? Number one, in the midst of darkness, God calls men and women to follow Him. In the midst of darkness, God calls men and women to follow Him. He calls us to a life of separation. We're to live in this world as pilgrims and strangers. So, how are you doing with your call? Are you following are you being obedient with what you know to be due that you are to be doing today? Are you being obedient? Understand tonight if you're a Christian there is God's call upon you and as Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 1, God has saved you and called you with a holy calling Not because of anything you've done, but because of His purpose and grace in you. There's a call on your life. There is a call on your life. And again, it's a call that involves adjustments. God calls you, He calls you to a life of separation, separation from the world. A a call involving communion with Him. Communion with Him. Separation from the world. and, And a call involving adjustments. But you have that call on your life if you're a Christian. Are you following Him? And are you doing what you know to be doing? Knowing that whatever else He wants you to do, if you're doing what He wants you to be doing, He's going to make clear to you that next step. But if you're waiting around on the whole road map, it's not going to work that way. A second life lesson, God does a work in us that He might do a work through us. In us that He might do it through us to touch others. Maybe you've become too comfortable in your own little things. Saved, satisfied, comfortable, complacent. Kind of like things just the way they are in your life. No? God may have something else for you so he can touch others through you. And then a third life lesson. To be greatly used of God, it is critical to stay in close communion with God. Your relationship with him has to be constantly nurtured and fed. Don't get lazy in your devotion to God. Don't get lazy in your devotion to God. Anything else? Anything that you noticed in the text? Yeah: Sure. And we're going to see next week too, how we're going to see next week too, how this great man of faith immediately made a bad choice, how he had trusted God to lead him into this new land where God was going to use him. And the first thing that went wrong, he immediately tried to take matters into his own hands, and he fled down to Egypt. And he got beat up down in Egypt, so to speak. So yeah. He made mistakes. See, that's the great thing about the word of God. He doesn't throw to Again, one of the one of the great, 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 great characters in the Bible. Abraham read ahead, read all the way up through chapter 24 24 25 all the way through the end through, excuse me, through 25 from 12 to 25 just start making some note reading and making notes what you notice about Abram's life Great, great lessons.